0: Good day. Shalom. Welcome to another edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. You can contact me for ideas and comments on the podcast at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. And we invite you to join our website, jewishsacredaging.com, uh, and visit our Facebook page, uh, uh, conveniently known as Jewish Sacred Aging on Facebook. Um, Spirituality is a catchphrase and and something that we're accustomed to talking about. All of us have just moved through uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, um, uh, Sukkot, the festival of Sukkot, where the word probably has been preached about and talked about a lot. So that it was great pleasure uh, that we welcome to today's show uh, Rabbi Dan Aaron uh, congregate former congregational rabbi. Uh, former president of the Reconstructionist Rabbinic Association, contemporary consultant, to talk about this uh, brand new book of his, Where Are You?, with a very, very interesting subtitle, A Beginner's Guide to Advanced Spirituality. A Beginner's Guide to Advanced Spirituality. So first of all, Baruch abba. Dan, welcome. Welcome to uh, the Seekers of Meaning. How are you doing?
1: Thank you. Doing well. And just want to uh, add to your introduction, it, it is true that I was the uh, past president, I am a past president of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association, but most people know me as the past president of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, and um, so that's uh, an, another okay. item on my resume.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, another al alchet. I'm building them up for next year already. You know, it's never too early to start. You know, the list the list keeps getting longer. Anyway, that be
1: I, your worst sin. That, that was uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> trust me. Ahav deal um anyway i'm fascinated by this subtitle here a beginner's guide to advanced spirituality first of all i'm fascinated by what advanced spirituality is um and then you th- then you write on page 85 that when it comes to advanced spirituality i'm still a beginner talk to me about what what do you mean by a beginner's guide to advanced spirituality
1: sure so <laughs> For me, that was a, a kind of a cute way of getting at the um, the fact that I went through a number of different understandings of spirituality. Um, and I should say spirituality is one of those words that is used by many different people to mean de- many different things. Uh, the way that I end up defining it in the book, which I'll get to in a second, is not the way that most people... Uh, define spirituality, and so um, so that will help us uh, perhaps understand what I mean by advanced spirituality. So <clears throat> I talk about in the in the book and in my experience that you know when I was growing up I was a little kid and I imagine like most people. I would see people who were um, very devout, very pious in some way. Maybe they meditated a lot. Maybe they went to synagogue a lot. Maybe they went to church a lot. And I said, well, that, that person, that's what spiritual is. Um, and I associated spirituality with those, I would say, external behaviors. And as I moved through uh, rabbinical school and into serving a congregation, my understanding of spirituality really changed. And I understood that spirituality was about connecting to something beyond myself. Um, And that connection could show up in in many different ways. It could be connection to family or uh, religious tradition or to God or nation or or to nature. Uh, There are many different ways that people can feel that their lives are not confined to their individual bodies and their individual selves, that they expand beyond. And that was how I understood spirituality for, I would say, a long time. And gradually what began to happen was that I recognized that my understanding of what that meant to connect and what I meant by myself uh, was was not clear to me, that it was a bit confused. And so I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that, that. I really identified myself with largely my thoughts. Uh, and I thought that whatever it was that I thought, that's what Dan was. Um, and turns out that, you know, Dan can think many different things and still be Dan. Uh, and, um, and gradually I started to disidentify uh, with my old understanding of what I was. I wasn't my thoughts. I wasn't my uh, emotions and I wasn't my body. I certainly had thoughts and had emotions and had a body. But if I was trying to understand what is this thing that is me, it was something more than that. Just to say I have thoughts says that there's an I that has thoughts. What is this I that has thoughts? And as I really investigated that deeply, And this is uh, something that I go into detail in in the book that I came to understand that um, that I am, yes, the totality of all those other things, but really an awareness, a consciousness that sits behind my thoughts, my emotions, and my body, and that gives rise to them. Um, And in that way, I disidentified with the ways that I had been identifying as what it was that I was. So the reason that I would say that that became advanced uh, spirituality for me was that I began to understand that everything was indeed that uh, that consciousness, that awareness that I was. Uh, And suddenly it's no longer about connecting to something outside of myself beyond myself or even within myself it's more about what is what is my essence and what is your essence and recognizing that those are really the uh the same that we are uh all of that same essence um and so that recognition uh, allowed me to understand spirituality as seeing the world as it actually is instead of as we might choose to think or imagine that the world is. I had imagined that I was very important in the world. Uh, I was the subject of all my thoughts and, and, uh, and all my behaviors. I was you know, the, the essential thing. And then to discover that that particular I that I had been identifying with wasn't actually who I was at all. And that change of really fundamental identity allowed me to see the world, I would say, more truly as it is um, and in a less um, illusory fashion. So when I wrote, well, I'm really just a beginner at this advanced spirituality stuff, uh, the reason for that is that I, like most people, will go back and forth between those understandings. I still get stuck in my my mind. I still get uh, stuck in my emotions and I I attach to them and I identify with them very strongly. Um, But now I will most typically after a period of time, sometimes short, sometimes longer, recognize, oh, you're doing that again. Oh, wait a second. That's not who you are. That's not what's happening here. And in that way, I come back to, uh, I would say that, that advanced spirituality, but I don't live there full time. Uh, and, uh, my hope is, is that over time I will be able to, I would say, occupy that, um, that more true identity more fully. Um, and so right now I'm a beginner and, uh, maybe I'll always be a beginner. I'm not sure when one is advanced at advanced spirituality. I, I haven't experienced that yet, but perhaps there are some who have.
0: Dan, so in, in this journey, a congregational rabbi, uh, the the college, the, was there a tipping? Was there like a a point where you just sort of like there was an aha moment, which is or an understanding internally? Something happened internally to you that said, "Wait a minute, I'm I am not the you know the center of the universe," as as, as you were talking about but I have to, I'm re I have to reassess really the I. What was, did that happen all of a sudden? Was it gradual? Was there a moment or a cause of that? And yeah. the, the reason why I ask you is because I'm, I'm finding in our work in Jewish sacred aging, then we talk to people of our, my cohort. Okay. Who are on this path. There seems to be a moment in their life where they realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, the pursuit of more, poised is, is a waste of time. So that's why I'm posing the question to you.
1: Yes, I think it's it's an important question. You know, when I hear people talk about um, their own spiritual uh, evolution, as, as I just did a little bit about my own, they will um, sometimes point to these uh, epiphany moments um, and I've certainly had, um, really, as a you know, for, for I can remember as a as a child and as a teenager, these kinds of epiphany moments. And in those epiphany moments, I would indeed come to the 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 feeling state that I uh, conveyed to you. The difference is <clears throat> that when I came back from those epiphany states. I said to myself, wow, I just had a really cool experience. That's really interesting. I'm so interesting. That maybe I can do that again. I'm I'm very advanced. Look at me. I'm wow, you know, and and the difference was recognizing that I didn't have that experience. The experience was was awareness having an experience of awareness. Not Dan having a very clever uh, moment, um, and so for me, I would say it wasn't that there was a single moment, as many people, when they describe their own spiritual evol- evolution, will describe. That wasn't true for me. Um, it was really uh, a gradual diminishment and and recognition. Uh, that didn't come all at once but but came kind of bit by bit and still chipping away, I would say, as I described earlier um you know one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book is that this topic of spirituality, many people feel well it's not for me, I'm not a spiritual person, or uh they would say, oh, spirituality is very interesting, but i don 't know how to do it and and to try and uh, make spirituality more accessible uh because I don't think it's that hard, actually. Um, I don't think that it is um, reserved for, uh, for special people who have meditated and lived in caves for, for years and years. I think it's really uh, something that, uh, that all of us, if we are interested and want to, to access, or are able to. And I wanted to uh, allow the reader of the book to, to kind of walk in and, and walk in easily.
0: Are people programmed? Is there a spiritual gene in us, do you think?
1: I <clears throat> don't know how to answer that question. You know, I, I, would, I would say that our makeup, because it is who we are, that there's something in us that wants to come home to ourselves, that we want to, we want to be at home with who we are. And since spirituality, I understand really in a way that it, it is about being in touch with who we are. It's an essential part of of being human. Is there a gene for that exactly? I'm not sure.
0: We're talking with Rabbi Dan Aaron Krantz, the author of "Where Are You: A Beginner's Guide to Advanced Spirituality." There's a segment in the book that uh, I, I find fascinating that I, that. I want to just ask you about and that is the concept of fear um it is my observation uh having done this now for 50 years that in for many people there is a fear of real of really confronting who they are I and mean, we've just come through the holidays where we're holding up the mirror to ourselves and my my concern is that so many people did it performing. you know, they went to services or they went on the zoom service or whatever, but really to pull back the curtain of themselves is very, very fearful. You write about um, this great quote, fear is ego's constant companion. And this idea of the ego, the I that you're talking about, could you just unpack that a little bit? What, what you, what you mean by that? It's a great sentence fear um, is ego's constant
1: companion. Sure. So first, I have to say a word about the way that I use ego because I don't use the word ego the way that Freud uses ego or that many others use ego. And um, so to understand what, what I'm talking about with ego, I talk about ego being the process of identity construction. So it's a process that goes on within us uh really all the time. It is it is always trying to uh to come to the fore of uh creating identity. So um so one way to do that might be, well, after this podcast, I might walk away and say, hmm, I, I hope that I was a good guest on, on this podcast because I'd like to be the kind of person who's a good podcast guest. Um, And so I construct identity around that. And maybe I say, oh, I was a very good podcast guest, or maybe I could have been a better podcast guest. But in either way, those are both the kinds of identity. Dan is a person who could have been a better podcast guest. Um, And that process of identity construction, it goes on all the time. And the reason that ego comes about with fear is that ego, it's not a terrible thing. It's not a bad thing. It's part of being human. If there weren't ego, then we wouldn't have this sense of ourselves as an individual I. But of course, when you have your a sense of self as an individual I, then immediately what can happen is you are aware of your vulnerability. You can get hurt. You know, I write in the book that when we're first born, we don't know that there's an individual I. Uh, the the entire world is, is all part of one big mush. Um, and at one big mush, we don't need to be afraid of being harmed. But once there's an individual I, well, then we can be afraid of being harmed. And it's ego's job to keep us safe. That's one of the things that ego does for us. So ego is going to keep us safe from physical harm and from uh, social and emotional harm. Um, but that means that ego's Job is to always be looking out uh, for for what's going to hurt us and to be afraid and to be on guard and um, and I think that you're right that people are afraid of looking in uh, and uh, and discovering something beyond that part of themselves, but that fear I think is about a wrestle with ego because when people will Move be beyond ego. Well, then ego needs to take a back seat, and ego doesn't like taking a back seat. Ego wants to be the uh, the way that we identify with ourselves, and so that when we get that sense that oh my goodness, if I delve into a, a particular understanding, I'm going to lose my sense of self. I'm going to lose my My the way that I've understood myself, that can be very unsettling. And there's a fear that arises. And and what I would encourage is that, yes, it can be unsettling, but let's find out what's on the other side. And when you find out what's on the other side, you recognize, oh, that's not unsettling at all. That actually feels pretty good. Um, and, And so that original fear, I think, is a little trap of ego that is saying, don't don't let me go to the back seat. I need to be the driver here. I need to be in control. Um, and and uh, and I think we need to figure out ways that we can tell ego it's okay. You're going to be okay. You'll be you'll be here later. Don't worry. You're not you're not going to disappear entirely. You'll be back.
0: It's sort of like you know what you're saying <laughs> reminds you a little bit of the you know the, of the parasha of you know, and all of us are involved with. this. why well, I love the text. That we're all moving into a, a future we really don't understand it we we really can't control it yeah. um and that's part of the i mean i mean, I think part of the fear of the future especially as we get older to many people there's a greater fear of tomorrow um because we just there's just less of that support system around but it's another sermon for another time which nobody really really needs to hear right now i uh, the book is available at the usual places. Uh, talk to me about that. How if I want to? If I want to run out and get this book before you pitch it to Hollywood, what?
1: So what? the book is yes, the book is available on uh, all, all places where books are sold. Um, there is also an audio book. So there's a print book and a and a uh, an ebook. Whether you want Kindle or Nook or however you get your ebooks, and, and it is available where books are sold.
0: You have a, a very interesting section in the book about the name of God, uh, and there's several pages of Yud Hey Vav capitalized, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and you, 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 I think you link it to um, the journey of Moses, and um, I think in Exodus 33 and 34. Could you talk to me about this understanding of Yud Vovhe as you analyze it in in uh, where are
1: you? Sure. Uh, so the reason that I go into that uh, conversation about uh, the name yud hey, hey, God's God's uh, name in the Bible, is <clears throat> that I think it is a clever way that the biblical authors were trying to describe that which you really can't be described well. So when we move past ego and when we are uh, identified with this other aspect of our of ourselves that I've spoken about, it's mushy, right? Well, what is that exactly that you're talking about? How do I how do I understand that? And a reason that it's mushy is that this is the part of ourselves that existed before we had language. It's a part of ourselves that that doesn't need or belong to language. And so when we try and bring it to words, we have a problem. And we, we end up saying things like the nothing that is everything and soul and spirit and the consciousness and awareness and uh, and all of these uh, words that, um, that are evocative, but, um, but aren't, you can't pin them down. Uh, it's not like desk uh you know uh <clears throat> so the word he vav vovhe i think is is really a a brilliant move of the biblical authors to try and describe what this is, so why is this a brilliant move? Well <clears throat> many of your listeners may know there's a the prohibition against pronouncing god's name, and that prohibition is is there sure, but also if you take the letters with no vowels as they would have existed in the biblical text y h w h uh, and pronounce that you'll get something like uh, something that has sound but but that has no you, you that's it's not desk <laughs> you no, can't not. you can't hold it um and then it's meaning We can look at the meaning and we can see, oh, I can see exactly what this word is. This word is the verb to be. Um, What form of the verb to be is this word? Well, it's got elements of the past, elements of the future, and, and, uh, and elements of the present. So it's the verb to be conjugated in a way that doesn't tell us if this is being in the past, present, or future. I know what this word is, but I can't tell you what it means. I see this word in front of me, but I can't pronounce it. And I think this corresponds very deeply to that experience that we have when we were to say to ourselves, well, take a moment and and find that part of yourself that was you when you were five years old. And it was also there when it was eight years old. And it's also there right now. Well, find that part. Of you inside yourself. Go look for it and find it. And the experience that I think many people have is a quick sense of, well, I looked, I, you know, I'm trying to find it. Where is it? Is it here? Where is it? And they can't find it. And from not finding it, they will quickly say, Well, I don't know, I couldn't find it. This is either a waste of time or it's not there. It's not worth contemplating or thinking about. It. And I think that the word Yudhai Vavhe, that name of God is telling us, oh, yes, it's there. You, you, it's right in front of you. It's, it's part of you. It's, it's essential to you. It is your nature. But you can't say it out loud, even though you can see exactly what the letters are. You can't understand its meaning, even though its meaning is readily apparent to you. Um, and in that way, I think the biblical authors were giving us uh, clues and hints where they were doing their best to try and capture this experience in this in this word that is a word that they use for uh for deity for for god's name
0: there are a lot of people now who um talk about colleagues who preach about this creating a spiritual practice creating a spiritual practice um when you hear that what 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 happens to you can can i like say okay here's my list of six things and this is my spiritual practice is it quantifiable is it personal when you hear that what happens to you? what how do you how do you react to that
1: yeah i i would uh i get interested uh honestly and i would say oh t- tell me more about your spiritual practice and here what people might uh uh, be doing or considering to be their spiritual practice. You know, for some people it, it can be gardening, uh, and, and for somebody else it's uh, it, it's sitting and meditating. Um, and so the the place that I would say I push a little bit in the book that's uh, shall we say unorthodox is to make sure to examine that the spiritual practice is not becoming yet another entrenched identity, because I think that spiritual practices are very good at that. Um, you know, I, I'm a meditator. I am a yogi. I am a, I am a devout Jew. I'm, I'm a conservative Jew, a Reformed Jew, a Reconstructionist, an Orthodox Jew, a Hasidic Jew. I'm this kind. All of those are uh, forms of identity that we are layering on whatever our practices are. Now, in the book, I also talk about what is the purpose of these practices. And often the purpose of the practice is, well, you know, this, this is the magic bullet that if you, you know, if you just meditate, you get to enlightenment. Well, if you, you know, if you just pray three times a day, you have a place in the world to come. You know, what, whatever that magic bullet is that you think this spiritual practice is going to give you, and I challenge that and say really the the goal of these practices is to exhaust ego. That ego is so busy holding on to our identity that we have to figure out a way to let it loose. And spiritual practices, if they function to help ego let go, then they really are, I think, functioning well. And if they become yet another way for ego to hold on, oh, entrenched identity then I think that the spiritual practices are actually in a way working against us. And so we can, we can shift them. We can, we can reboot them. We can drop them. We can do them differently. And um, but, but if we recognize that, oh, the spiritual practice has become another layer of identity for me to, uh, to layer on for, to give ego another way of, uh, of, of holding its, its place. And. Um, then i think the spiritual practices aren't actually helping us
0: you know you you mentioned the idea of, of labels So just and it just triggered something i just want to ask you before we start to we need to wrap up the um, we're so conditioned we were you know like you mentioned before orthodox jew reformed jew conservative jew this jew buddhist jew non jew whatever 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 do you, are, are we moving in your experience in, we started to move into a situation in right now in the American Jewish community where we're, we're getting rid of the labels. We don't have to label ourselves. I'm a Jew and uh, I may uh, go to the Chabad service one day. I may go to the, the reconstructionist jewel the other weekend. I may do, but I'm, I don't want to label myself because I'm just continually in the process of evolving. Do you think we're, go ahead.
1: Possibly. I, I don't know that I have uh kind of great wisdom on on the sociology these days right. of, of how yeah. people are identifying. The the way that I would just challenge is that even I am a Jew is still an identity. Right? Oh. I, I am a male is still identity. I think even those labels are ways that we allow uh, ego to to rule the roost. Um and again, it's not that I would say, oh, I, I'm not a Jew. Well, that's a label, too. Uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm not a male. Uh, for me, I've identified as male, so I can say, oh, yes, I identify as male. It's a way I identify, but it isn't my essential uh, being.
0: You end the book, and, and I want to conclude this with the conclusion that you got, with this lovely midrash. That I want you to unpack for us. The title of the chapter is Carrying Your Own Light, which I think is re- it's a, it's a beautiful little story. Talk to me about that. And by the way, as you get this book for my for our colleagues out there who want to use this book as an adult ed or you know, sisterhood, brotherhood, book groups, et cetera, et cetera, Dan at the end of the chapters has sort of like a little black box with key takeaways. So if you get lost a little bit in the reading of the chapter, you can that you can just focus in on these key takeaways from each chapter. So Dan, beginning of a new year, it's a very new year. We've come through the holidays, we've come through Sukkot, we've waved our lulav, we're refreshed, we're renewed. What does it mean to carry my own light?
1: Sure. So the the story is uh, of a uh, student who comes to the the original Rebbe and uh, and says to him, you know, when I when I'm immersed in study, uh, then I, I feel light and I feel love. But when I leave, then everything is lost. I'm I, I lose all that connection that I had. What, what should I do? And the original the Rebbe responds by saying this is like when you are walking home on a dark evening. And you're walking through the woods and you encounter another person who has a lantern. And for a while, you walk together, and the path is lit, and then that person has to split off and go their own way, and there you are in darkness again and The original Rebbe says, you know if you carry your own light, then you don't need to be afraid of the dark so the way that I understand that and the way that I was using it in in that uh, uh conclusion that you mentioned was to say that yes, when you perhaps read books about spirituality or if you are in the company of a wonderful teacher and and you then feel that sense of connection and you you feel the um the glow of the insights well that will go away as soon as you close the book unless you're able to carry your own light so for me carrying your own light as a conclusion was a way of saying this book is going to be meaningful to you if you can take its message to heart and you internalize those messages. Then the fact that you're done reading or that you're not reading spiritual material or you are not involved in, in ecstatic group singing or in gardening or whatever it is that, uh, that is lighting your fire, whatever those uh, spiritual practices are that you're not doing at that moment that help you achieve some altered state, you will be able to retain that same connection even as you go off uh, away from those uh, particular activities and into the rest of your life.
0: That's a great way to end the the, the great story. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the book. Uh, Where are you? Uh, a beginner's guide to advanced spirituality, uh, Rabbi Dan Aaron Kranz. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, Thank you for your time and your passion with this. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy. And um, hopefully I'll bump into you on maybe the uh, I-95 between Bucks County and Southern New Jersey, if the traffic allows it, uh, which it usually doesn't. Take care, man. Thanks,
1: Richard. Pleasure talking to you.
0: And uh, Happy New Year. It's still not too late to say that. Just stay healthy. Thank you. To all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of uh, Seekers of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Uh, we can thank you very, very much for your continued support. And if you'd like to make a tax free donation to help us continue the podcast and the work of Jewish Sacred Aging, go to the website, JewishSacredAging.com uh, and you'll find a conveniently located donate button. And also, if you would like to join uh, some of our sponsors and become a sponsor, for uh, for series of these podcasts, just email me at rabbiadress at Jewish Sacredaging.com. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the broadcast center of Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a shout out to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and I look forward to greeting you on our next edition of the Seekers of Meaning TV show and podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. Be kind to one another. Hello.